There's a new addition to the Rumpole household, and Horace Rumpole is confined to bed under doctor's orders. Rumpole and the Explosive Evidence by John Mortimer. Adapted by Richard Stoneman. With me, Timothy West, as the elder Horace Rumpole and Benedict Cumberbatch as the younger Horace Rumpole. For heaven's sake, Rumpole, do stop coughing. And that's quite enough groaning. I think I'm dying, Hilda. Well, I wish you could die without making so much noise. You've woken Nicholas. Listen. Yes, I can hear him now, just as I heard him every hour <coughs> throughout the night. Oh, I shall have to feed him again. Well, I don't suppose you can fetch me some tea whilst you're... Thank you, Hilda. My own Florence Nightingale. <coughs> the local quack, Dr. Hanson, had diagnosed influenza when he'd examined me the previous day for all of 30 seconds. But I knew, deep in my heart, that I was not long for this world. Hilda! Hilda! Hello. Is that you, Mr. Rumpole? Who were you expecting if you dialed this number? No, it's just... You sound horrible, if you don't mind me saying so. Hmm. It's Henry, by the way. Oh, yes, I realise that, Henry. And the reason I sound horrible is because I am dying. Oh. So you won't be able to make the con I've just arranged. Brixton Prison, 12.30. The Dartford Post Office robbery. What? Miss Pringle's client, Charlie Wheelay, has been done for blowing another safe. A safe blowing in Dartford. I felt my head beginning to clear as I swung my legs out of bed. But I'll tell Miss Pringle you can't be there. Henry, Henry, can you... Can you... <coughs> Just hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. Hold on, will you? Henry? Did I hear the telephone, Rumpole? Was it anyone important? The prospect of a trip to the Old Bailey cured me in an instant. Come, Miss Pringle. I'll see her in Brixton at 12.30, Henry. And I'll see you very soon. Where on earth are you going, Rumpole? To my chambers, Hilda. To read my new brief. Well, my death will have to wait. Safe blowing, as always, comes first. Oh! Oh! Nicholas, please! Shh! Nicholas, oh, dear! Oh! I'm here, Henry, I'm here. Are you sure you should be, Mr. Rumpole? Uh, you look even worse than you sound. Uh, just, I just need some tea, bacon sandwich, and perhaps a small cheroot. <coughs> Give me the doctor brief and I'll read it on the way to Brixton. Well, you've got plenty of time, sir. They don't want the two of you down there till three o'clock now. Two of us? Y yeah. Thing is, you... You're being led in this case. What? They're briefing a silk. You can take it easy. Make notes for your leader. My leader? <coughs> My leader? I don't want a leader. 
haven't they heard? I'm out of rompers. I managed to pinch bungalow murders alone and without a leader. Yeah, I know, sir. It, it's just... What's all this din? Oh, hello, Rumpel. God, you look awful. So do you, you pompous prig. Was what I wanted to say to Sam Ballard, QC, our so-called head of chambers. Instead, I merely mumbled... Not been very well. Bit of a cold, that's all. Uh, well, at least I won't have to see too much of your face this week. But I'm afraid you'll be seeing an awful lot of my back. Your back? The Dartford Post Office robbery. You'll be sitting behind me. Oh, no, you don't be. <laughs> oh, yes, Rumpel. I am your leader. Soapy Sam Ballard allowed me to travel with him to Brixton in his well-manicured rover, on condition I sat behind him on a dog-stained blanket with the windows wide open. <laughs> he parked in front of the nick, and we walked together to the gates. This case is as dead as a doornail. Our client was a well-known minor South London villain named Charlie Wheeler, a professional safe-blower with a string of conviction. Now, why would you say that? Two men in stocking masks hold up a post office. One has a shotgun, and our friend Wheeler's fingerprints are all over a lump of explosive. <laughs> I wonder why he didn't just leave his visiting card. Oh, remind me, Ballard, are we prosecuting or defending Paul Charlie? In a bare-walled interview room, we all sat around a wooden table screwed to the floor. The table, that is, not us. Us being Charlie Wheeler, the defendant, Sam Ballard, the QC, Rumpel, the junior... And Joyce Pringle, the jolly, fair-haired solicitor, dressed more for a wet weekend in Hazelmere than Brixton Nick. I don't know why I wore this silly hat. As a dare, perhaps? Was what I thought, but didn't say. At least it goes with my dress. <laughs> Hard to tell, since the dress was hidden beneath a tent-like Macintosh. Now I can't undo these buttons. <laughs> Miss Pringle giggled all the time. She giggled during serious passages of evidence. I once had her in court for a murder, and she laughed so audibly at the pathologist's report that she had to be removed. At least she managed to compose herself before Charlie Wheeler held out his hand to me. Ah, Charlie. Glad to see you, Mr. Rumpel. Mm. You'd be amazed the reputation you've got on E-Wing. <coughs> well, they can inscribe that on my tombstone. He had an amazing reputation on E-Wing. <coughs> You're not going to die, are you, Mr. Rumpel? I must say... You do look a bit rough. <laughs> I'm fine, thank you. Just a cold. So, you, you can do my case? Your case, Charlie, will be conducted by Mr. Sam Ballard, QC, our so-called... <clears throat> our head of chambers. <clears throat> now then, Wheeler. <clears throat> that means you, Charlie. Rumpel, please. Oh, forgive me for talking. I shall make a note of your words of wisdom and remain silent. <laughs> remain silent? You, Mr. Rumpel. <laughs> Now, I'm here to fight this case, and I intend to leave no stone unturned as I defend you, Wheeler, to the best of my ability. I repeated what he said as I wrote it down. Without much ability. Rumpel? I'm writing as fast as I can. Do carry on. Uh, the thing is, uh, Miss Pringle here has no doubt told you who our judge is going to be. <laughs> oh, yes. I told him. Uh, it's Sir Oliver Oliphant. Judge Sir Oliver Oliphant. Hailed as he never tired of telling us. 
from the north of England. Any sort of attack on the honesty of the police will go down extremely badly with Sir Oliver. I know. I don't want to lay into dirty. Dirty? Dirty Dickerson. Otherwise known as Detective Inspector Dickerson, the officer in charge of the case. I mean, there's no point having to go at him, is there? Well, exactly. The evidence against you is indisputable. Oh, yes. Quite indisputable. Hopeless in so many ways, which is very sad. Very sad. So what's the point of annoying the judge with a whole lot of questions? That's exactly what I said, isn't it, Charlie? <sighs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, but if I don't say nothing against Dickerson, if I keep quiet, like, how much, Mr. Rumble? More looking at an eight. Well, Charlie... Well, in my experience... Oh, yes, you'd better listen to the wise words of my learned leader. In my experience, any sort of attack on the police will add considerably to your sentence. Oh. So let's be sensible. And I must warn you, Wheeler, the time may very well come when I have to throw in my hand. Blimey. It's not a game of bridge, Ballard. <laughs> not a game at all. Uh, for Charlie... <laughs> Do cover your nose, Rumpel. <laughs> With the prospect of a screaming baby at home, I decided that evening to drown all uneasy thoughts as to the conduct of Wheeler's defence in three or four glasses of Chateau Thames Embankment. Sadly, among the barristers and journalists filling Pomeroy's wine bar was my colleague from Chambers, Claude Erskine Brown. I gather you're again me, Rumpo. What? At the Bailey, the post office robbery in Dartford. I'm prosecuting. You, Erskine Brown, down the Bailey? Hope you remember how to find the place. Oh, I do remember, Rumpo. <laughs> and I remember the last time I was there, a rather attractive instructing solicitor by the name of Pringle. Joyce, besotted. Were you? Not me, her. No. Every time I caught her eye, she was staring back at me. You realise, of course, she's Wheeler's brief. Is she? I had no idea. You will behave. I hope we'll both behave like gentlemen. Mm. Keep proceeding civilised. No need for any of your usual tricks. No chance for any of my usual tricks. Since I'll be confined to taking notes. Oh, yes. You're being led by Sam Ballard. Yeah. I myself will be alone and without a leader. Uh, much as you were for the Penge bungalow murders, Mr. Rumpole. I beg your pardon? We'd been joined by a grubby little man in a beer-stained sports jacket. I couldn't help overhearing. Yes, standing quite so close, I'm sure you couldn't. And I said to myself, that's Horace Rumpole, that is. Am I wrong or am I wrong? You are, in fact, correct, Mr... Philbeam. Hmm. Eddie Philby, News of the World. Oh. We were actually in the middle of a conversation. I think actually we're just about finished. See you down the Bailey, Claude. But Rumpo. Uh, well, why don't we sit over here, Mr. Philbeam? Eddie. So, uh, you know about the Page Bungalow murders, Eddie? Oh, I was there every day, writing it up for the Orpington Gazette. Ah. Well, that was before I got my own column in the News of the World. We've both moved onwards and upwards since then, haven't we? Uh, yes. Yes, in a manner of speaking. And you've got another big case now, I gather, featuring Detective Inspector Dickerson, no less. You know him? I know why they call him Dirty Dickerson. Mm. 
I've got a file full of stories about the villains he'd verbal unless they paid up. About the money he took for not opposing bail. About all the tricks he's pulled to get a conviction. Hmm. <laughs> Trouble is, I can't print a thing. Hmm. Scared of Dickinson? None of my informants would ever stand up in court and repeat what they told me off the record. Fascinating, but I'm not quite sure why you're telling me. I just wondered if you could help Mr. Rumpo. Uh, maybe your client, um, Charlie Wheeler. Maybe he'd like to dish some dirt on Dirty Dickerson. A story has to come out at some stage. Maybe. But not with my help, and not with any verbals from Charlie Wheeler, who was in quite enough trouble as it was. It seemed to me, as we sat in the Old Bailey for the first day of the trial, that I had no choice but to rely on my influenza to help us. Only by using my throat spray, handkerchiefs and a packet of cough drops... Could I distract the jury from the evidence that otherwise might appear to put Charlie at the scene of the crime? <coughs> but not even my energetic attempts to draw attention away from the first witness, Mr. Finkleton, the fingerprint expert, could prevent Erskine Brown's progress through the case for the prosecution. Mr. Finkleton, you have, do you not, enlarged photographs of the first, second, and third fingers of the defendant? I do, yes. <laughs> My nasal ablutions seem to be annoying the judge, oh. Sir Oliver Oliphant. If junior counsel's quite finished blowing his nose, perhaps his learned leader might like to tell the court if the defence admits these photographs. Uh, they are indeed admitted, my lord. I should think so too, Mr. Ballard. <laughs> and um, do you also have enlarged photographs of the fingerprints on the small piece of gelignite taken by Detective Inspector Dickerson from the scene of the crime? Yes, I do. I can see it was time to use the throat spray. And what do you say about those two sets of fingerprints? I have found 32 distinct points of similarity. Please. For instance, the break in the first whirl on the index finger is exactly the same in both cases. Members of the jury, I think you'll agree it's very clear what Mr. Fingleton's saying. Are the similarities obvious to you? I know they are to me. <coughs> Your behaviour is outrageous. Uh, so, <coughs> Mr. Fingleton, what exactly is your conclusion? My conclusion is... <coughs> my conclusion... <coughs> is Junior Counsel aware this is not a hospital? My apologies, my lord. If you're ill, go home, Mr. Rumpole. I'm obliged for your lordship's concern. Uh, medical advice. Your conclusion, Mr. Fingleton. Oh, I, I was just about to say, my lord, that the fingerprints are identical. Identical, members of the jury. Does that make sense to you? 
I know it does to me. Yeah, thank you very much, Mr. Pickleham. As Erskine Brown sat down, I'm not sure what I expected from my learned leader. Perhaps an attack on the whole theory of the fingerprint, as first promulgated by Professor Perkinji of the University of Breslau. Or the classification into whirls, loops, arches and composites, pioneered by Sir Edward Henry of the Bengal Police. But as it was, Soapy Sam Ballard QC rose in all his glory to deliver himself of his considered contribution. No questions, my lord. What? I can't do anything with this evidence, Rumpel. Maybe you can't. But... <coughs> I'm much obliged to you, Mr. Ballard. Perhaps now might be a good time to adjourn before junior counsel spreads any more of his filthy germs around the court. Ten o'clock tomorrow morning. Rise. That evening I was rereading my brief in the living room at Froxbury Mansions with a still slightly feverish brow when she who must be obeyed brought in the mewling infant, Nicholas. If I put him in a pram, can you take him for a walk? <laughs> in my condition? Go to the pub, fetch some gin. I don't think gin's particularly good for influenza. The gin is for me. Oh. Oh, please, just take him. I have to read this evidence again before the morning. It seems Charlie Wheeler had been offered bail in exchange for the confession. <coughs> Dirty Dickerson popped into his cell at two in the morning to shake his hand, which is strange. I have no interest in your case, Rumpole, just as you seem to have no interest in your son, if you expect me... But can we talk about this later? No, Rumpole, I want to talk about this... Hello? <gasps> Who is this? It's me, <laughs> Ballard. My God, you sound dreadful. Well, I feel dreadful. That would explain it. I can't come in tomorrow or the day after. You'll have to hold the fort at the Bailey. <coughs> There's nothing you can do but mitigate in view of the evidence we've heard. You're quite right, Ballard. Of course we'll have to mitigate. And you mustn't attack the officer. The officer in charge of the case? No, I won't attack Dickerson. I'll simply adopt your technique. No questions, my lord, no questions. Seems to endear you to Sir Oliver. So now you get to bed and stay there, Ballard, and don't you dream of moving. Bye-bye. Goodbye, Rumpo. Rumpo? <laughs> Oh, frabjous day, canoe, calais! He chortled in his joy. What <laughs> is the matter with you? Oh, nothing's the matter. It's an occasion for rejoicing. I've given my learned leader the flu. Hurrah! <laughs> Woken at dawn by our fractious baby, I slipped out of the flat and found a quiet table in Jock's Cafe near Ludgate Circus. It was a place patronised by coppers, hacks and meat porters from Smithfield, where the two eggs, rashers and fried slice were the best in London. And it was there that I was joined by Phil Beam of the News of the World, to whom I gave the glad tidings that the world's greatest mitigator was docked in bed for the remainder of the trial. Phil Beam seemed unmoved. I still can't find anyone willing to stand up in court. Well, I'll be on my feet in a couple of hours. 
And it would do my case a power of good if I could borrow one of your snouts. At the very least, can I call you? So you can cast some doubt on Dirty Dickerson's evidence. How could I do that, Mr. Rompo? Hmm? Tell the jury I've heard stories from people I can't name who refuse to turn up or put anything on the record. Oh, I take your point. You might at least pretend I have a hope in hell. I left Philbeam and made my way over the road to the Palais de Justice. I got changed into my working clobber, wig, gown and so on, and went down to the lower ground floor to meet my client and his solicitor. But when I got to the old battered Newgate door, which divides the safe sheep from the imperiled goats, I found the giggling Miss Pringle looking somewhat uh, flustered. I'm so sorry, but I have a fraud in the West Court. I'm not sure how this happened, but I really have to be with Mr. Hoskins over there. <laughs> the West Court, you say, Miss Pringle? What a coincidence. Is it? <laughs> Mr. Askin Brown? Yes, I had to see a judge there myself. Why don't we walk together? Oh, I'm, not, I'm not sure. Uh, which judge are you seeing, Claude? Which judge? Well, no, I, I think... Um, uh, yes, it's, it, it's Judge Skelton. He's back from his holidays. So soon. Well, he must be. If I have a meeting with him, which I do. Shall we go, Miss Pringle? <laughs> you, you sure you don't mind, Mr. Rumpel? Quite all right. I'm happy to see Charlie Wheeler on my own. At which point, Miss Pringle and Erskine Brown went off together. And I went on to do what no sensible barrister ever does. See a client alone before a trial. Did you ever pay Dickerson any money, Charlie? Never. And he knew you never would? I think he got a message. Hmm. Mr. Ballard not yet, Daddy? No. We had a bit of luck with the flu... Was Dickerson about to offer you bail? Yeah, well, that seemed funny to me. Very funny with a record like yours. He asked me to put my hands up, sign a confession. But you weren't going to. I've never done that, Mr. Rumpo. It's not the way I work. Oh, the same. Yes? I strung him along a bit. I let him think we might do a deal. We even shook hands on it. Really? And how did Dickerson look? Was he pleased? Triumphant? I couldn't really see him, proper. It was in my cell, Dartford Nick, about two in the morning. I was half asleep. It was dark. And he was nervous. Nervous? Well, you expect a good firm grip for a man like that. But his hand was clammy. Soft. Thank you, Charlie. I think I now have a plan of attack. Really? You reckon we got a chance? A tiny chance, perhaps. I think I ought to ask Inspector Dirty Dickerson a few impertinent questions. So this is what I'm going to ask him, with your kind permission. You see, I have an idea that might just work in your favour. Very good, Mr. Rambo. Let's hear it, then. It was then that I got Charlie Wheeler's agreement that I should do what I was about to do. Very good, Mr. Rambo. I like the sound of that. Detective Inspector Dickerson, a large, smiling man with greying hair, was listening to Erskine Brown's questions. We have heard from an expert that Wheeler's fingerprints were all over Exhibit 1, the piece of gelatinite. Can you tell us where you found it? Beside the safe at the scene of the crime, my lord. You're saying it was in the Dartford Post Office? Yes, my lord. Thank you. Uh, no further questions, my lord. 
Uh, what about you, Mr. Rumpel? I can't imagine you have any questions for the detective inspector. No, but I do have just a few, my lord. Really? Well, <laughs> let's hear them, then. Detective Inspector Dickerson, have you ever had financial dealings with suspects you've arrested? My lord. Sit down, Erskine Brown. May I ask how questions like that can be in any way relevant to the case of Wheeler? I'm inclined to agree with you, Mr. Erskine Brown. My lord, when the character of this officer is called into question... Is that what you're doing? You're attacking this officer's character? I'm not offering him a gold medal. I can only assume you're making this attack on instruction. Of course, my lord. And I see your learned leader is not in court. Unfortunately, he's been struck down by the flu. Then perhaps you'd like me to adjourn this cross-examination so it can be done properly, by leading counsel. Thank you, my lord. I'm quite happy to proceed. Did you want to ask more questions? Just one or two. Detective Inspector, when Charlie Wheeler was in Dartford, Nick... Where? In the police cells at Dartford Police Station... There is such a thing as plain English, Mr. Rumpel. Oh, do be quiet and let me speak. Was what I thought, but didn't say. I'm obliged, my lord. Was the standard response, which I gave. Detective Inspector, did you ever shake hands with Charlie Wheeler at Dartford Police Station? I'm sorry? Is my plain English not plain enough for you? You're asking if I shook his hand? I may have done... Have you ever shaken a prisoner's hand before? Not that I can remember. So why did you shake hands with Charlie Wheeler? Well, uh, he, he told me he was about to make a confession statement. I, I, I was congratulating him on doing the right thing. Does that make sense to you, members of the jury? I know it does to me. Detective Inspector, did you discuss bail with my client on that occasion? There was no discussion of bail whatsoever. Did you say you wouldn't oppose bail if he made a confession? I said nothing of the sort. Mr. Rumpel, are there any further allegations to be made against this officer? Actually, yes, my lord. May I have exhibit one, please? The usher brought me the little lump of jelly knife in its plastic bag. Who found this at the scene of the crime, Detective Inspector? I did. Did you show it to any other officer? Yes, when I got back to the station. When you got back to the station. So the jury must rely on your evidence and your evidence alone to satisfy them that this small piece of gelignite was ever at the scene of the crime. Well, if my evidence isn't good enough... If your evidence isn't good enough, Detective Inspector, Charlie Wheeler is entitled to be acquitted. The jury were listening. Have you ever, in your long experience, known a safe blower to leave his gelignite with his fingerprints on it at the scene of the crime? If criminals never made mistakes... We would have no trials at the Old Bailey. But, my lord, there is another possibility the jury may have to consider. We have no idea when the fingerprints got on the gelignite or where. Is it possible, Detective Inspector, that Charlie Wheeler only touched the gelignite in the Dartford police station? I don't know what you mean. Then let me help you. In that dark cell at two o'clock in the morning... You had this little piece of gelignite concealed in your palm when you held out your hand to Charlie Wheeler and shook hands. And that is the only explanation of how Charlie's fingerprints got onto Exhibit 1. 
If that's what Wheeler told you, if that's what he said, then it's a load of nonsense. You're saying it's not true, Detective Inspector. A complete fabrication, my lord. Let me write that down. Oh, for the love. A complete fabrication. Feel my hair growing. Members of the jury, it's always painful to watch a senior officer with his distinguished length of service under attack from junior counsel. What? I expect we'll be glad of a break. All rise. Jack, Jack, Jack! No, I was next. Having trouble getting served? Oh, you'd think they'd see to their regulars first. All by yourself, Claude? No, I was supposed to be meeting Joyce Pringle, your instructing solicitor. But she cried off sick. Really? I thought she looked rather pale the other day when we walked to the West Court together. I noticed her hand was feverish as I tried to hold it. You tried to hold it? The perspiration made it hard to get a good grip. And then she said she felt nauseous. Hmm. Seen her since then? She's still pretty ill, apparently. Oh, look, a free table. You grab a bottle, join me in the corner. Good evening, Mr. Rumpole. Hmm. How's it going down the bailey? Perhaps it will seem much better after a glass or two of Chateau Thames Embankment. Oh, Mr. Ballard telephoned, sir. His consultant told him to stay in bed for the rest of the week. He was asking, is it over yet? Tell him it's all going according to plan. Nothing to send his temperature up. Right, sir. And so, without a leader, I faced another day in court. This time, to hear the jury give their verdict. It was guilty. And his honour, Sir Oliver Oliphant, then gave his considered opinion on the moral status of Charlie Wheeler. You're a thief and a liar. What makes your crime a great deal worse is the fact that you used your junior counsel to attack the honesty and good name of someone with 25 years standing in the police force. No, no, or never. I've had the misfortune to sit here and hear Detective Inspector Dickerson subjected to a number of questions. I never! Silence in court! I never wanted more Barrister to ask them questions. I told him to keep his trap shut. I sat quite still. I couldn't blame Charlie, but I began to feel that we were at the start of something that could prove deeply embarrassing for young Rumpole. You have the most appalling record, and it is clearly time that society was protected from you for a considerably long period. The least sentence I can pass is one of 12 years' imprisonment. Take him down. No! No, this isn't right! It's not fair! Before counsel also disappear... I have something to add, Mr. Rumpole. Your attack on the integrity of Detective Inspector Dickerson was not only not backed up by the evidence, it's now clear it was an adventure. All of your own. I take a very serious view of this. Very serious indeed. Are you going to give me 12 years as well, old darling? Was what I thought, but didn't say. I intend to report the matter in the proper quarter... As your lordship pleases. I gave him a bow of the utmost courtesy, a much-needed lesson in courtroom manners, and perhaps Rumpole's last genuflection in front of the bench. As I took off the wig and looked in the robing room mirror, I seemed to see a new Rumpole, a young man who might, quite soon, be a barrister no longer. 
Farewell, dear friend. A disciplinary hearing before the Senate? My dear Rumpel, I, I don't want to worry you. On the contrary, Ballard, you're having a most calming effect. But are you sure you should be back at work? You do seem to be perspiring to quite an alarming degree. I need to write to the Senate myself about this case. To tell them the attack on Dirty Dickerson was an escapade dreamt up by your junior? You'll confirm that, of course. Don't worry, you'll have the perfect alibi. Flat on your back with your chest covered in Vic while chewing aspirins. Don't you wish you'd been laid up with the flu as well, eh? You want to know the truth? All right, I'll come clean. Rumpole. I loved that cross-examination. I enjoyed every minute of it. And what's more, I swear by almighty God I was onto something. So you admit you got carried away. In the heat of the moment, you made an attack on the honesty of a senior police officer, which you now deeply... <laughs> <laughs> Regret. Bless you. You agree that you proceeded entirely without instructions? Do you think I'm totally insane? Of course I had instructions. But at the conference at Brixton... I had another conference, whilst you were tucked up with your hot water bottle. You made a note of those instructions at the time. I carry things in my head. Then Wheeler's solicitor, Miss Pringle, she'll remember, we'll get hold of her. Miss Pringle wasn't there. She had some kind of fraud with Hoskins in the West Court. Disappeared with Erskine Brown, never to be seen again. You mean you actually saw the client alone? Oh, we live dangerously down the Berlin. But we are denied he given you instructions. He told the judge as much. Wouldn't you have done the same? I don't know. I've never been on trial for blowing up a safe. Then picture the scene. You've just waited three hours for the jury to find you guilty. You've been told by learned leading counsel, no less, in Brixton Prison, that it's a few extra years for asking the dirty D.I. certain rude questions. Wouldn't you deny you'd given me any instructions? I'll have to give it a good deal of thought. Give what a good deal of thought? What I'm going to say, on your behalf, to the Senate. Oh, please, Ballard, <laughs> don't say a word. I was afraid he'd plead guilty and beg for clemency. Blaming my sins on my unhappy home life. Despite my concerns, I managed, eventually, to fall asleep that night. Only to be woken by she who must be obeyed. Oh. Rumpel? Rumpel. I'm asleep. No, you're not. Well, it would be if only you stopped talking. Can't you hear Nicholas? He's crying. He's a baby. That's what they do. <sighs> Should I fetch him? I'm sure you'll get back to sleep. Eventually. I'm worried, Rumpel. Probably just a touch of wind. I'm not worried about the baby. I'm worried about you. Oh, for heaven's sake. I can see the boy. One of us might as well have a decent night's sleep. Shush now. Silence in court. Hmm? Seems to be the trouble here. Shush, 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 shush. Hmm? 
You worried like your mother. Hmm? About the stand I'm taking. Hmm? She who must feel that uh, wheel is not worth the risk to my career. I put it to you, young Nicholas Rumpole, that everyone's worth defending. Hmm. <clears throat> Do I think he's innocent? Huh. Well, my view is irrelevant. But if you must know, I don't believe he's innocent. In fact, I think Charlie Wheeler probably did blow the safe of the Dartford Post Office, but guilty or innocent, it doesn't matter. Hmm? Shh. What does matter is he may have been convicted on faked evidence. Hmm? Hmm? Ah. <laughs> you see that, yes? Uh, it's not for me to decide guilt or innocence. That's for twelve puzzled old darlings pulled off the street for three boring days with a safe blower. All I can do is make sure they're not lied to, not deceived, not tricked by some smiling copper who wants to make their decision for them with a few conjuring tricks in a dark cell. I shall never apologize for what I did for Wheeler. But what if they disbar you, Rumpole? Why aren't you asleep? <sighs> I could hear you talking to Nicholas. He's nodded off at last. What will you do? Put him back in the cart. No, if you're disbarred, what will you do? I'm not sure. I suppose I'll stay at home for a while. Stay at home? I could help you with the chores and with the baby. Seem to be quite good at this. You? Here? But... Uh, uh, Rumpel, no! Shh. Oh! If Hilda was worried by our conversation, I'd be a liar if I pretended the prospect of my hearing before the Senate of the Inns of Court didn't fill me with trepidation. Sitting alone in Jock's Cafe with a cup of coffee and a plate of bacon and eggs, I tried not to think about the reality of life away from the bar. Before I could finish my breakfast, however, I was joined by Phil Beam of the News of the World, who was smiling. Morning, Mr. Rumpole. I thought I'd find you here. <laughs> no. Am I that predictable? Why so glum? The future of my so-called career is about to be decided by a bunch of bewicked old darlings, and there's nothing I can do to stop them casting me out into the wilderness. Apart from that, everything's fine and dandy. Will you be having the full English? Nah... I'm still stuffed from my dinner last night. Really? I went for a Chinese meal. Ate almost everything on the menu and drank an awful lot of wine. How lovely. But I wasn't as drunk as Dirty. Dirty Dickerson? You were dining with the detective inspector. Anything I should know about? Philbeam described the evening in considerable detail. So I was able to picture the scene as if I'd been there myself. So... <coughs> What exactly did you want to ask me, Philby? Can I just say, Mr. Dickerson, this is all off the record. Oi, Fu Manchu, bring me a bottle of your finest Chablis. What? Oh, Chablis, it's a wine. You must have heard of wine. What? Philbeam had asked the waiters to disguise the fact that they could all speak perfect English. Dirty Dickerson found it very easy to believe that none of them understood a word he was saying. And, after a bottle and a half of their finest Chablis, he was saying quite a lot. 
Well, this story you've been told. Who says I fitted up Charlie Wheeler? Well, obviously, I can't reveal my sources. What, you won't quote me on this? You have my word. <laughs> he was such a friendly chap, old Charlie. <laughs> He'd shake hands with anyone. <laughs> <laughs> Even if they was holding on to a lump of jelly at the time. <laughs> So, so Rumpo was right. Of course he was. Shame the jury didn't believe him. Oi, more chop suey over here. Chop, chop. Perhaps Detective Inspector Dickerson wouldn't have been quite so rude to the waiters had he known they were all willing and able to stand up in court and repeat what they'd heard him say that night. I'll be running an expose this Sunday, Mr. Rumpo. I bet your Senate might like to read it. I doubt the members of the Senate have ever read a copy of the News of the World before. But on this occasion, yes, I think they might like to see what you say. Thank you, Eddie. I believe you've saved my bacon. My explanation of recent events to the Senate took place later that day. And by the evening, I was ready to share their verdict with she who must be obeyed. Is that you, Rumpole? I'm afraid so. Well, is it... Is it over? Yes. <gasps> You're finished. Disbarred. No, no, I meant the hearing's over. They let me off. What? Acquitted. <gasps> by unanimous verdict. Left the dock without a stain on my character. In fact, I was commended for highlighting the misconduct of Dirty Dickerson, who's been suspended pending a full <gasps> disciplinary inquiry. Oh! Rumble! Oh! Hilda, oh. oh. you seem to have your arms around me. Oh. Bit tight. Uh, you weren't really worried, were you? Oh, of course I was worried. Having you at home all day would have been impossible. <laughs> but now, you don't have to help with the chores or, or with the baby. Who seems to be crying? Uh, will you push him around in the pram for a bit? I'd like nothing better, Hilda. Sadly, though, I have a brief to read. I'm doing rather a larky manslaughter tomorrow at Chelmsford. In fact, it might be best if I do my reading somewhere a little quieter. Somewhere that served Chateau Thames Embankment by the glass. Don't wait up. Rumpole. Rumpole. In Rumpole and the Explosive Evidence by John Mortimer, the elder Horace Rumpole was played by me, Timothy West, and the younger Horace Rumpole was Benedict Cumberbatch. Hilda Rumpole was Jasmine Hyde, Henry, Adrian Scarborough, Claude Erskine-Brown, Nigel Anthony, and Sam Ballard was Michael Cochrane. Joyce Pringle was Alison Pettit, Sir Oliver Oliphant, Geoffrey Whitehead, and Dirty Dickerson, John Ram. Other parts were played by members of the company. Rumpole and the Explosive Evidence was adapted by Richard Stoneman, directed by Marilyn Imrie, and is a Catherine Bailey production for BBC Radio 4. <laughs> <laughs>